Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Mike Dudas of The Block. Uh, they get into the truth about crypto and about the whole ecosystem and try to get to the bottom of the story. I've, I've definitely benefited from the truth that they try to find uh, in this place of craziness and mistruth. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and hope you find it valuable. Uh, Mike has a lot of valuable things to say. He had just recently come back from a trip to Hong Kong uh, and Asia to understand more about the crypto scene there. So there's a lot of valuable information uh, about that in this episode. Hope you enjoy it. If you do, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom. And if you like this episode, I hope that you like the other ones and go ahead and give us a review. I uh, hope you guys have a great day. Uh, if you do like this episode, please find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I, at Stuart Alsop, I-I-I. Uh, and let me know what you think. Let me, you know, tweet out to me. Let me know what you think. Have a great day. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Mike Dudas from uh, The Block, uh, which you guys are kind of creating a lot of content around the crypto space, right? Is you got correct? it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And what is like your thesis or like uh, kind of... What do you want to put out there for the block? So I've been interested in cryptocurrency since 2013. I worked at Braintree Venmo. We used to process payments or still do for, for Uber and Airbnb. We met with the Coinbase team at the time and you know considered accepting uh, cryptocurrency Bitcoin payments uh, at that time. Uh, about, I would say, a couple months later, read a piece by Chamath Palatopia. Uh, it was talking about cryptocurrency as schmuck insurance hmm. uh, against you know, rising rates and global strife, etc. So became interested at that point. Uh, left Braintree Venmo when we sold to PayPal and started a company called Button, which is a mobile affiliate company. And uh, that company has grown tremendously from 2014 to late 2017, uh, almost four years. Uh, grew from you know, zero people to over a hundred. Grew from zero revenue to uh, gross revenue, well over fifty million a year. And really exciting process. We were growing so fast, I sort of lost track of the crypto ecosystem. But doing payments, though, right? Yeah, yeah so yeah, exactly. Yeah. Doing you know, working on payments and commerce, but you know, cryptocurrency just wasn't coming up in mm-hmm. the mainstream. It hadn't really moved for a while. And then you saw the move in two thousand seventeen uh, up. By the way, in that four-year period, lots was happening. It just wasn't really making the mainstream news. So I held the Bitcoin I owned and uh, remained interested. So when I jumped back in, we actually had our second child in late 2017, right when the um, price of all cryptocurrencies was skyrocketing. And obviously, it you know, piqued my interest. And people knew that I owned some Bitcoin, started asking me about it, colleagues, friends, you name it. Uh, and while I was out on paternity leave for about a month and a half through Thanksgiving, again, which is when it skyrocketed, I was you know, basically trying to catch up on what I'd missed in that four-year period, right? ICOs, Ethereum launch, uh, so much more. Um, and the thing that I realized was, unlike when I worked at you know, prior to Braintree Venmo, Google for the first time, Google Wallet, uh, when I worked at Venmo and learned about peer-to-peer payments and, and you know, Braintree payment processing, you know, learning about cryptocurrency, like there's literally no book you can read mm. that <laughs> encapsulates everything. or captures close to everything, right? You're talking about governance, economics, you know, network security, uh, you know, organizational and, and protocol structures, and 
you're talking about money and technology. So it's wonderful and fascinating. Uh, and then everything around it is so emergent and, and not set in stone from you know, regulations to law to policy. So it, was, it took me like six months to even get to a point where I felt comfortable having a discussion with people I'd actually chatted with cryptocurrency about like four or five years earlier. Yeah. So to solve that problem, uh, decided uh, that I'd love to. I'm the type of person I've been, you know, the CRO of the company I co-founded, Button. And I love taking things. Let's just say there's 100 people doing it. I love taking it into the next 1,000 or the next mm-hmm. 10,000 and thought there was an opportunity to do that with cryptocurrency. Interesting. So we started the company, or I you know, had the idea in Q1 of 2018, left Button. At the time, thought it would mm-hmm. be retail-focused. So crypto simplified. Oh, interesting. Well, things crashed, as you know. Yeah. Uh, and by the time I'd raised uh, a seed round that summer and started looking higher, it was clear that the public was sort of moving out. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it was a blessing in disguise and uh, decided to take that same ethos or idea of explaining complex things um, and you know, with, with good breadth, um, but really with depth uh, independently mm-hmm. to uh, professionals. So that's what we've really, you know, what we strive to do. Um, we've grown from zero people to 20 people you know, 12 or 13 uh, folks on our editorial team. And, you know, we deliver a significant amount, so two to three research pieces a day, uh, and then a bunch of sort of premium deep news. Um, and, and our goal is to be the first and final word in crypto. Mm-hmm. Really what that means is that if you just read what we're talking about consistently, mm-hmm. you know, in our newsletter or on our site, um, you know, over the span of six months, you'd be pretty well educated on what's happening in this space. And that's you know. the goal, essentially, is to, is to give somebody who's a professional in some sense in, in, in work or business, but not necessarily in crypto, wants to get caught up and you just take six months, you read everything from the block, and then you're there. It's like The Economist almost. Or, or, yeah, uh, so uh, they, we, you know, they, they're covering such a broad array of yeah. topics, but uh, imagine they just stuck to like one area and it uh, was like European politics. It would be like taking one of those. Now, the long-term mm-hmm. ambition is to grow beyond, you know, we're starting with digital assets. Yeah. Uh, but we think Finance. that you can apply yeah, yeah, this uh-huh. to a broader range of, of financial coverage uh, that's not clickbaity. And so, cool. so, you know, it's just taking that in in turn. And then how do you do that? How do you make sure that you're putting content out there, you're, you're getting revenue, but not be clickbaity? Yeah, so the, the, the key is uh, the business model. So we prioritize subscription revenue, mm-hmm. um, and we call it membership revenue. So our premium research brand is called Genesis. Mm-hmm. And what it entitles folks to is our full library of research, um, access to the two to three pieces per day uh, that we put out. Yeah, and then we're having a conference uh, in December, yeah, heavily discount tickets to that, and mm-hmm. in a Slack group where you can speak with our researchers and analysts, the number of folks to take advantage of. And uh, so it's not like a paywall per se, it's, mm-hmm. it's more of a community. Yep. Uh, we will be introducing a consumer product uh, in the next six weeks uh, that'll be lighter that's more of a paywall that so, will give you access to less content so in order to go into the block does one of my listeners have to actually sign up for a subscription or uh, no so okay. to, yeah so today we uh-huh. have two types of content we have the free content yep. on the block crypto.com mm-hmm. and then in the same feed we actually include the paywalled content mm-hmm. we're sort of separating those out mm-hmm. uh, and we'll make a much cleaner UI uh, over the next two months so that the 
free content and the research library are two distinct things. Yeah. So that's really interesting. On Twitter, crypto Twitter is crazy. I really appreciate what you do because oh, it's you like, offer some. <laughs> it's like nothing. I mean, it's like a battle, battlefield. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you don't even realize, like I've participated in normal Twitter for uh, eight, eight, like ten years heavily uh-huh. since probably 2010 when I was at Google, and uh, it it can get intense at times, right? Yeah. You have folks like Keith Rebois, um, that style of person though is and I'm not you know I'm that style of person. Mm-hmm. I like to challenge and you know Jason come to the truth by whittling away everything yeah. else. Yeah. And almost it, it just feels like two thirds of the voices who are communicating on crypto Twitter are of that type. Yeah, oh interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's it's really the the, the passion, the yeah. the sometimes unwillingness to listen. And so you can get drawn into that, right? Yeah. And and it's almost like the default is I'm out here to trigger somebody mm-hmm. um, or some group, so, and you get yeah. these camps like uh, I almost liken them to like little like religions and, and cults, um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But you have you know folks who are Bitcoin supporters, Ethereum supporters, the no ripple XRP army, no coiners. <laughs> Yeah, you just don't see a lot of on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, willingness to really engage in good good faith and and learn from one another. So it's not the best place to spend time. So I've had an issue personally. I have this personality where I like to. So we used uh, Twitter heavily to market and, and make ourselves known. Mm-hmm. Part of that was being brash and outspoken and controversial. That has diminishing returns though once you start to actually become established like we have. So mm-hmm. um, you know, changing the the mood there uh, and, and really focusing on the on the 95% of people who are aren't in that. that yeah they're not like yeah. that's not how they're discovering yeah they're following or yeah okay or or, yeah. or like following Twitter and you know 90% of the people don't, don't comment, comment don't like yeah. or anything like that and those people are reading and it's like you know yeah. and it's really interesting for me to do in this podcast because a lot of people are reading and uh, communicating with me but silently you know totally. like like totally. it's so weird like where those paths go you'll talk to somebody and then they'll they'll say that they've you know heard all of your episodes or something like that and it's just like it's wild yeah, yeah. so i went to a uh, i basically did like a little fireside chat last night mm-hmm. uh with the guy luke herner who does crypto mondays here in new york there were 150 people there and a number of them who i didn't know said mm-hmm. hey look like i really enjoy following you like you know i don't really comment but yeah. thank you for for what you're doing and you know in person i'm a like a, a, a much more agreeable person <laughs> than that persona yeah. i take online and yeah. candidly there's no excuses for that so it's not like you, you have to be self-aware i wasn't necessarily self-aware enough and i usually am of that persona i was giving off and you know, my my ability to weather discomfort mm-hmm. is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like I don't mind. You have to be obviously if you're like willing to start totally. businesses and, and do all that kind of stuff. Um, but not everybody else's is, mm-hmm. so they do get really turned off by. And that's like an <laughs> asset in business: being comfortable with stress and being uh, having other people in your organization who are also comfortable with stress. It is, in what ways is it a disadvantage? Yeah. So it becomes a. A disadvantage when it well so one if you can't uh, so I do a lot to try to segment my or compartmentalize let's say my life and if uh, I'm bringing home the stress of a really difficult work day or if I'm bringing this online stress that I'm seeing while I'm just relaxing with my wife and kids 
and, and taking that into how I interact with them when they say, hey, daddy, daddy, let's, you know, go out on the porch and play, mm-hmm. then I'm failing. And, and so the, the stress is natural um, and it's going to exist. And, and frankly, I thrive on it in a lot of ways. Um, but other folks don't like to see you that tense. My wife is much more relaxed than I am. Yeah. My kids just want to play. Yeah. That applies to friends. That applies to everybody. And then the reverse is true. It's much. It's it's pretty hard, you know, when you're running companies and have uh, a family and small mm-hmm. kids and mm-hmm. all of the challenges. We live right in New York City, and um, you know, it's intense and it's kind of a rat race, and everybody's like putting on their good face of success. Yeah. That can be intense, right? So the the key for me is uh, I see so much, and is like you know, it's just basically switching contexts. Now, I admittedly can't always do that, and and that's where you know stress stress starts to turn negative. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Um, I have like and I've spoken about this openly uh, on Twitter. I delete all my tweets just because I think it's an in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, engagement method that's how I enjoy it and I just don't like people pulling out a five-year-old tweet and Mm -hmm. doing that out of context crap so you know for me that's how it works um but uh you know so so I I can I thrive under stress I also have been you know diagnosed with uh chronic or you know with generalized anxiety disorder um it manifests itself through you know, physically, this uh, feeling in sort of the pit of your stomach, anticipatory nervousness about things that aren't nerve-wracking, and you know, and then you maybe start sweating or just like the heart rate, and you're just like your head it makes it hard to focus. So, so I do manage that with you know different techniques, as you know, sort of mental techniques, deep breathing, um, but also you know I'll, I'll, I'll you know sort of medicate. If I'm going to go speak in front of Three hundred people, or you know, the the hundred fifty folks last night. I might, you know, use something like a Xanax Mm. to to help me uh, cope, and Mm. have been doing that for fifteen years, and it's it's worked for me. Mm. That might not work for other folks, Mm. but uh, it's what works for me. Um, Yeah, so there's it's like managing the unhealthy aspects um, or the things that could be unhealthy if Mm. not treated, Mm. and then trying to channel them into. Productivity, mm-hmm. because I do find at the heightened stress and fear moments, um, I'm often the most productive. Interesting. So a lot of people like separate business and personal life, and there's a good reason to do that. Uh, but I found that when I'm hanging out with my family, sometimes I have ideas in that time that can I can then apply to my business. What is something recently that, if anything, have you learned from your family that you brought into business, if at all? So the best example of that is is definitely. Uh, it's it's becoming a better listener uh, and it's been a multi-year thing uh, historically and you can probably even hear it in this podcast I really do like to talk <laughs> uh, and so I I'm not as much of an empathetic listener and uh, and I make eye contact and I you know I do find conversation with folks deeply engaging uh, but as I've gotten older I've definitely been much more oriented towards talking to others, right? Because I've been like a leader in organizations or people ask me to, to speak at X, Y, or Z. So having kids who um, mm. want to tell you things, yeah. 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 And, yeah, and 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 like on the face of it, of course, it's not like incredibly interesting stuff, right? Just the actual content. But it's like incredible, you know, when they're your kids. Like, yeah. daddy, daddy, look, I just like took this piece of paper and made a kite. Yeah. Like... 
okay. It fills your heart with But no, yeah. 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 And I'm like, oh my God. It's, <laughs> and it really is impressive. And then to watch how that kite yeah. is. Um, so, so, so I learn, I'm learning primarily through my kids right now. Um, and it's, and it's sh- the other thing, it's shifted how I spend time. So I used to be interested. Like, I, I feel like at any given point, this is another thing, you can only be really on top of like a few broad topics. Yeah. And I was always uncomfortable. I want to know everything yeah. about everything. And yeah. so, you know, right now, because cryptocurrency is very uh, heavily focused here and then, you know, in the United States and then yeah. a bunch of Asian countries. I hadn't been to Asia in, mm-hmm. you know, 13 years, any Asian country since 2005. Went to, and then I've been to South Korea and Taiwan this year, and I'm going to Japan uh, for the first time in 14 years mm. uh, later this year. Um, so I'd started to read more books about, you know, hey, what's happened in those mm. countries over the past 25 to 50 years, and it's been wonderful. Um, but what suffered is I used to spend so much time on sports, uh-huh. or like just yeah. watching current other you know, series and TV shows and things, and I just don't do that yeah. anymore. Um, and, and so the whole point of that is just to say, and I, I spend much more time on my, my kids, what's happening like in the neighborhood, um, playing fun games and interacting. And it's, it's getting back to the original point. It's helped me become a better listener, um, more aware of um, what's interesting to other people isn't always like it, it's what we were talking about. <laughs> so um, it was a big wake up call. I was thinking about it all weekend with uh, the perfect example would be you know, the, the persona that you put out there publicly mm-hmm. um, and how other people might perceive it. So this is this gets into a really interesting point. I actually learned from my dad, uh, and it's and it's funny because he's not into crypto at all. He's a technology investor, but mm-hmm. he hates crypto and mm-hmm. like doesn't doesn't think it's gonna go anywhere. Uh, and then <laughs> and then we're having then we're having this this like uh, emotional discussion about like our, my childhood and all this different stuff and then he brings up this point of like Every person has a private self and a public self. Yeah. No matter how, what person, no matter how open they are, they are still keeping something private, right? Right. And I was like, immediately it hit me. It's like, oh, that's, that's a public key and a private key. Everybody mm-hmm. has a public key and a private key. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's a very good kind of like analogy for crypto. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Like the philosophy of, of what is the, there's, so, How did how did Satoshi get to that idea of like we have a private key we have a public key this is how we're gonna keep because what does Bitcoin do what does Bitcoin do that's the question okay yeah so like obviously Bitcoin lets at, at its most fundamental level you know, two people exchange value in a in a sort of trustless or without a trusted intermediary. Um, and obviously, you know, the logic and the mechanism of uh, how Bitcoin are mined, how, you know, it's valid, how transactions are validated mm-hmm. uh, ensures that you and I can transact. Um, With without, no third party. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's interesting. Yeah. So it's, it's basically, uh, it's done, obviously, like you just said, by, uh, you know, my, my, Private key is something that, that you never see. Yeah, and if you wanted that. to take it from me, like you'd have to, I'd have to share that with you. Uh, but the public key is 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 there, right? I mean, it's like um, so it's out there, and uh, and it's an address. It's a so so. I think getting back to your analogy, you're probably probably like Bitcoin's a bearer asset, um, right? Just like gold, it's like I give it to you, and it's gone. So why so many people get hacked, mm-hmm. right? You can't just like easily hack my city account because there's like recourse to it, right? Um, 
whereas you really can't like that transaction can be reversed censored or you know there's a, a central intermediary not so with bitcoin it's gone it's gone i mean unless it can be tracked and there are tools for that now um you know chain analysis and others can sort of track and, and help governments and, and other entities uh and lawsuits and things like that mm. or people are getting divorced etc uh track cryptocurrency but you know to your point um we're moving towards a world of you know i think increased transparency but uh matched by so, so sorry we're gonna everything but but there's gonna be more privacy so than, than ever before Howard Lindzen who's mm. you know an investor a great guy um, who mm. I've been friends with for 10 years just wrote about this and you know there's no incentives right now for big corporations to give a shit about the privacy, privacy mm-hmm. because the fines are so small and it's actually building their moats and so what excites me about, uh, you know, the regulations are actually building the moats of Facebook and Google and the bigger companies that have the resources to pay the fines and, and comply with the regulations, whereas the startup, it's like, good luck um, to you know, build a new ad tech company, for example, to compete with them and comply with all these regulations. The, uh, at the same time, you know, there is this uh, transparency in terms of you know, there's cameras all over the place. Like, you know, the government, you know, mm-hmm. China, for example, in Hong Kong, you're seeing it now, can see everything, right? Talking. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the willingness of like young people to literally share everything. The willingness of somebody like you or me to share so much on Twitter, right? Or on a, on a blog. There's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, celebrities are seemingly more open to talk about deeper things than mm-hmm. ever. But, you know, at the same time, you know, privacy for, for a number of people. That's not everybody, you know. And I think I think I actually think we'll move more towards that private side mm. because it's easier than ever in the world for the public stuff that you're talking about, that public persona, yeah. to sort of get out, get shared, and get manipulated. Yeah. So that's the problem right now that we're heading towards. And you you know you can read all about it, deep fakes and things like that. The Great Hack on Netflix is mm. an incredible. Um, it's an incredible documentary that just came out about Cambridge Analytica mm-hmm. and Facebook uh, and Trump and the Brexit. And, you know, we're really running into an age where, uh, you know, it's not only you know, private versus public. It's, you know, is what's public true, mm-hmm. right? Um, is it believable? Um, so anyway, there's just becoming this broad, uh, you know, distortion of, of reality. Um, so my guess is, by the way, there, this is the, all, all of these different factors, um, abundance of you know, ability to share, blah, 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 all this will in the next 10 years or so lead to a huge pullback yep. in, uh, in how folks, in, in, in folks uh, public willingness to share. And it may only go back to like when I was born mm-hmm. in 1979 and living through the 80s and 90s, where you just knew the people in your neighborhood and mm-hmm. then a few people that you watched on TV. <laughs> yeah, <that's really> <laughs> right. Well, and that, and that that's really interesting because that private persona, the one thing that's really necessary for every private persona is to have a control over their finances. So like Bitcoin is that first step basically, but it might be another 10, 20 years until we actually get the mechanisms for also privatizing our data, like also DRMs type of stuff. Yeah, totally. And yeah, so so what we actually have right now with public cryptocurrencies are things that are pseudonymous, but actually easier to track than, you know, the cash, for example. Uh, And all of the, the key 
you know, largest protocols are working to both scale, that's like priority number one, and priority number two or 1A or mm-hmm. 1B is uh, you know, adding privacy components to you know, the key, you know, so implementing things that folks see in sort of whether it's Zcash, Monero, or other, mm-hmm. pardon me, other um, privacy tools uh, and technologies that folks have built, building those into uh, existing protocols. Interesting. So you just came back from Asia. You just came back, or uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, came back from Taiwan. Okay. And by the way, just today, gave virtual banking licenses to, or yesterday, to Rocketon, to Line, um, some really big companies. So Asia is fascinating in terms of their willingness to embrace. It's impossible to say Asia broadly. Yeah, sorry, so specific yeah, yeah. countries uh, are embracing it. What so, about Singapore? Yeah, I was just yeah. <laughs> saying Singapore. So Singapore. Given the given what's happening in Hong Kong mm-hmm. and the and the strife, I think is going to. So Hong Kong would have been the place that I would have said if you'd asked me six months ago, mm-hmm. would just you know in a positive way explode with uh, you know, cryptocurrency activity and it has uh, okay yeah financial activity building listing you name it. Um, Taiwan has definitely made a commitment to it. Like the government was heavily involved in the event I was at there. Um, Asia Blockchain Summit, and then made these approvals, as I said yesterday. Uh, yesterday. Uh, Singapore, though, is an incredible home. It kills they, me because it's the furthest place, like on from Earth, from here. here. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah, it's either Australia, yeah. New Zealand, or Singapore, yeah, like the hardest to get to. But the um, I'll give you an example. In November, there's literally three crowns, three major conferences in one week in Singapore. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, you know Coin Market Cap. Um, Coin Telegraph and Ripple are all having very different. Each one of them is very different as well. Mm-hmm. Are all having two or three day conferences. So Larry, who's our head of research, will be there. But I think it's it's a it's a it's a territory that's going to you know, explode in significance. And so I just had a conversation with somebody in Singapore today, and she's in a, in crypto, and yep. and it's really interesting in Singapore because there is uh, regulate like everything is so clear and efficient, and effective. You just like it takes fifteen minutes. I think she said like fifty dollars or something like that to set up a business. Uh, you know, internationally, I wonder still whether it makes sense to go do Stripe for DC or to Delaware or whatever to do a corporation mm-hmm. versus versus Singapore. Uh, I do wonder about American investors investing in something that's based in Singapore, but I don't mm-hmm. wonder about the rest of the world. I think the rest of the world would be fine investing with something in Singapore. Yeah. What about these capital flows that are coming from? You know, the U.S. is kind of like a lot of people don't let the U.S. invest in these things. Yeah. Like, how is that going to change? Are we losing out? Is the American government it, yeah, so so there's no question. Like, it makes no sense, for example, and, and the worst of the worst is the bit license, right? So, you know, I live in New York City, right? It's absurd that I don't have access to, you know, the same products that folks, I think, in just about every other state in the United States have access to. Um, you'll see Coinbase mm-hmm. or, you know, Circle or Kraken will you know list an asset, but I'm not able Bitrex. I'm not able to to trade it. Uh, but you know, if I head over New Jersey, I can't. Yeah. The is that based on IP address or so or the ID that you provide? So it depends on the exchange. Interesting. Um, <laughs> some uh, we actually had our uh, Stephen Pally, who's our legal contributor, wrote a piece on this today. Okay, yeah. Some. It, it, you look, a best practice is to do KYC and ask for identification, even just an email address <laughs> and a name. Uh, some exchanges do that, uh, some don't. 
uh, Bitfinex, you know, being one that, that just makes you click a checkbox that says you're not from the U.S. <laughs> um, so the the but the but the long and the short of it is uh, there's no I don't really see the advantage. To, so I see the I, I see the motives of the U.S. government right mm-hmm. to not encourage wholeheartedly the development of uh, you know alternative monies uh, that would compete with USD. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I also think they need to be pragmatic and say, look, these things are going to yeah, develop yeah. regardless, yeah. right? They're, they're, we're talking about sort of like money arbitrage opportunities. I'm a small to medium-sized uh, country. Well, hey, what's a way that I can you know, increase my power? Maybe I you know, start hoarding Bitcoin uh, and my reserves you know, begin to expand and grow significantly. Or maybe I you know, issue a central bank digital coin that's more liquid than any of the other uh, currencies, you know, fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a whole host of things that companies, that countries are, are thinking of doing. Um, but the entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurs want to work here and, and are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think by not having regulatory clarity, like the SEC has been slow to give clarity, we are uh, hamstringing development. And you know, technology development, as, as, as you know, I mean, you see your dad's a technology investor, and you know, I've worked in tech for 15 years. It's, yeah, I you know, went to college in Silicon Valley. Like, I'm a, I've like drunk the Kool Aid on it. Yeah. So, like, it's what is powering. You know, economic. It's one of the major things powering economic growth, yeah. right? The Facebooks, the Apples, the Googles, the well, Amazon. So, we have to, uh, and I think cryptocurrency and, and the sort of reinvention of money and, and financial technology is, you know, one of the massive uh, positive forces uh, of the next 20, 30, 40 years. And we will be at a disadvantage mm-hmm. if, um, you know, we become nationalist or closed off and. I think, but, but so I say that at the same time, you know, the reg, uh, if you think just from a party and U.S. political perspective, mm-hmm. Republicans actually are lighter touch from a regulatory oh, perspective, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. whereas the, um, you know, the Democrats, you hear them saying, you know, the same things like we're going to block stock buybacks. And, you know, I can mm-hmm. see if like Elizabeth Warren were elected more heavy uh, regulation against cryptocurrency than I could see if you know, Trump were reelected. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm in a weird place uh, <laughs> being a New, York, yeah. a New Yorker yeah. who you know, lived in California. Yeah. And so I'm a you know, coastal elite liberal. But at the same time, like I really disagree with, with a lot of the policies and politics I see. And yes, to answer the original question, I'm a big, big, big supporter of regulation. If it's crystal clear um, and reasonable, I mean, I think, Anybody would be right, mm-hmm. and I don't think it's reasonable to block investment. Uh, I think that it is reasonable to have you know some sort of accredited investor laws to protect people who are unsophisticated or to yeah you know, to ensure that you have some level of competence. But I don't think it's unreasonable for people to try to raise money in new ways, mm-hmm. you know, token offerings and things uh, like that. And and we just block that too much here in the United States. Yeah, interesting. And so what about this rise of, of this technology class, technology elite, technology culture that's happening around the globe? You just went to Taiwan, you just went mm-hmm. to Hong Kong and, or, uh, and Korea and, and all these different places. They're kind of all networked both by English and by, uh, and by capital, essentially. Yeah. Like what, where does crypto fit into that? And yeah, where is it going? Yeah, so uh, this is, you're working in this aspect, this part of tech is the first time I've been so 
closely aligned mm -hmm. with so many other countries. Like I said, I haven't traveled to Asia. I, I traveled to Europe. I think this really does turn it into like one globe. It's it's just never been. Uh, if you look at other technology ecosystems, even just traditional financial technology is still pretty siloed. Like Venmo still only serves the U.S. Yeah. Cash App, Square, mm -hmm. it only serves Japan and the U.S. They move much more slowly, whereas um, you know, Bitcoin's available everywhere. At any time, 24 hours a day. Yeah, so it's, it's a wonderful property of this. It's one of the things that I enjoy most about um, this ecosystem. It starts to get me thinking, though, about things that I've never considered before, right? Like mm -hmm. a guy like Roger Ver, mm -hmm. you know, billionaire, right? Mm -hmm. But can he, like, he lives in Japan and he can't travel to certain countries. You know, mm -hmm. you see Justin Sun, mm -hmm. uh, Tron's uh, creator, founder. He's now stuck in China. He's just stuck in China. You know, CZ of Binance mm -hmm. hasn't set foot in the U.S., uh, you know, since, since Binance started. So, you know, the Bitfinex folks don't obviously Stefan in the U.S. said at a, you know, a hearing yesterday in their case, uh, the New York AG brought. So, you know, you, you have to sort of trade. There's some trade-offs there if you do certain things in terms of like what your liberties are and in terms of how you think of, you know, nation states again. Mm. Have you ever read any cyberpunk? Or so I'm not. So okay. I'm not like, yeah, and a lot of people would be like, well, you're not authentic. But, <laughs> but I'm actually not an engineer. Uh -huh. I took a bunch of CS classes in my undergrad and yeah. it was like, I was just bad at it. Well, because like, the reason I bring that up is because yeah. there's one book, I can't remember, I think it was William Gibson, uh, where it's hypothesis 20 years in the future, you know, nation nature of nation states changes, kind of like what mm -hmm. we're seeing now, this contraction of nation states around nationalism and all this different stuff. And then there's this one free floating island off the coast of Africa, which is like just totally liberal paradise. Uh, and it's like, and it's like all these people who are getting in trouble with governments. I can definitely see them like moving to something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got Sea Study, and I don't know if you've seen the Sea yeah. Study Institute. Yeah. Like they're trying to think of that. They're trying yeah. to actually build that, which is really weird because because yeah. uh, it's going to get weird pretty soon. Yeah, libertarian paradises, but yeah. that'll be like one piece, and then. Yeah, it's interesting what you're saying. People like Malta, you mm -hmm. know, the refuge for people who. Oh, right, it's already Malta. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Malta's yeah. one. Seychelles is another. Um, is Singapore going to become something like that? Do you think? So I, I, I don't know, yeah. but I no, I think they're not like permissive. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. they are uh, liberal, or they're very, they're Efficient you know, yeah, yeah, they're they're open in terms of like their light touch, let's say, in, mm -hmm. in their regulation. But they're not totally open. In, is Malta totally open? It, it with so so the government sort of says hey yes we're open for whatever business the banks and others who like you still need to have access to like a bank for example if you're a cryptocurrency company uh, and they have not necessarily been uh, as as open as the government you know sort of says is there a future where we can have a cryptocurrency bank is that yeah so so there's one called Silvergate okay. that. Uh, primarily shifted from being a general purpose bank into servicing primarily cryptocurrency mm. companies and you know obviously if the and the primarily exchanges and if they if these if they grow um, you know there's massive upside mm. but they turn from a bank which mm. typically isn't necessarily a risky stock investment for mm. example uh, it pays good dividends and regulatory moat into mm. something that's you know indexed to the crypto ecosystem oh wow growing interesting yeah, yeah. Cool. So if there's one secret that you know about the crypto world uh, and you're willing to share it as well, okay. <laughs> uh, what would it be? Uh, the, so the biggest secret to me, um, 
so I think the biggest unknown is I think it's known by a lot of people. The biggest thing, let's just instead of secret, the biggest thing I believe um, is that money properties of cryptocurrency, meaning you know the you know a set monetary policy. Like I prefer Bitcoin. Um, I, I only own Bitcoin, and I think the moneyness of a cryptocurrency ultimately in the long run is is let's say more important uh, than you know let's say its flexibility or its ability to you know, be built on um, oh, uh, today. Yeah, yeah. Because I think you know you can with again second layer or uh, hmm. or over time over ten or twenty years ultimately everything falls apart if you don't have a credible monetary policy. And you know, people don't believe in the moneyness of mm. your cryptocurrency. Um, that's the biggest sort of knock on Ethereum, mm. which has right now the most interesting financial products. But mm. sort of the base currency, people would be concerned, you know, could be inflated. Ethereum 1.0 needs to switch to Ethereum 2.0 over mm. the next few years. Um, and so, just to get that straight, so essentially, you got Bitcoin. Uh, which has a firm monetary policy. Everybody knows what they're doing with, with, with yeah. Bitcoin, but Ethereum has this thing that they're experimenting with, which we're not quite sure. And so everything be, being built off the top of it, could that also be built off the top of Bitcoin? Not today. Okay, yeah. but, but in the future? Potentially, yeah, yeah. given enough time. I mean, the, the it, it would be painful within the context mm -hmm. of uh, you know how Bitcoin operates in its language, uh, programming language today, which is inflexible. But you know, Bitcoin has chosen... You know, to value that sort of inflexibility is, yeah, in it's a smaller specific. surface area, technology surface area, yeah. um, versus you know supporting so many different things like smart contracts that you know, mm -hmm. present uh, smart contracts at scale and, and um, that could introduce you know more attack vectors, which so, we've seen actually be you know with the DAO attack and yeah. things like that. Um, you know, people have taken advantage of them. Interesting. So do you do you agree that this is an analogy essentially to beta and VHS that that like that Bitcoin is, is VHS and Ethereum is beta? Uh, I don't, mm -hmm. um, so, and they're also different things. Yeah. Uh, but again, Ethereum need will, so even if they're different things, and Ethereum mm -hmm. specializes in becoming like decentralized finance, like they actually need a credible monetary policy, mm. um, which they have to figure out. As yeah, well. they haven't figured it out. Mm -hmm. So. Um, the and it's changed, right? The ideas, the, the block rewards have changed, mm. and uh, it's it, but not in a like you know it ha it doesn't happen in a as as predictable a way, mm. and they're changing you know theoretically to prove a stake and so, mm. so things like that. Um, you know those are those are concerning and troubling. And then the other the other thing that I think I you know that I believe that then to flip over that mm. maybe my can a lot of the folks who. Um, believe in Bitcoin uh, or you know, Bitcoin maximalists, let's say, believe would be that you you know this doesn't need to become popular. It can just be this small intolerant minority of folks. I disagree. I think Bitcoin you know, needs to be understood, grokked, popularized, used by hundreds of millions of people um, in, order to be in this in this world of abundance. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, if it's going to be a long term store of value. So you know, I think. It doesn't necessarily need to become like a pre like a premium means of commerce, but I do think some brands, yeah, you know, Square being one of them, and they're really doing a great job with Cash App of mm -hmm. popularizing it. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and, and I think younger folks think of a cryptocurrency just like they think of a stock, even though they're not the same thing. Yeah. But they're both yeah. in the Robinhood app. And I, I would be very curious. I don't know if you have any data on this, but yeah. the, the, the young people and their affinity for crypto, like the percentages of young people versus the percentages of old people. Yeah. yeah I like it. So I've, most surveys I've said show, seen show that young folks you know, have a higher propensity to mm-hmm. be interested in purchase. Mm-hmm. Saw one recently that said older folks did, but I <laughs> skeptical. <laughs> I skeptical to say the least, yeah. Uh, so uh, let's go back to the stress and creativity. You know, we got like 10, 15 minutes left. What is the kind of like for that 2017, what was the stress of like having that growth and like that, that, that like, like everybody is thinking mm-hmm. this is going to go. And then what was the stress of collapsing it? When it collapsed? Yeah. So, uh, it was fortunate for me that it wasn't so, it wasn't stressful. Like my strategy changed. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so I was fortunate that I started a company prior mm-hmm. to this because at Button, we had started with one particular uh, thesis around mobile commerce and, and we're considering building like a loyalty product mm. that I can coalition loyalty, like I can earn points at Airbnb that I could use on Uber and mm-hmm. use on Seamless oh, yep. and use at Hotels.com. Um, that didn't work out. Uh, and we quickly realized that, that like retention wasn't, mm-hmm. and loyalty wasn't the most important thing for these folks. The most important thing was growth. So that's when we changed into a mobile affiliate performance marketing company. Uh, that, so having gone through that experience, it, it made me comfortable enough to sort of weather a similar experience uh, at the block when you know, price crashed went from, you know, hey, I'll do a traditional fundraise and, and look for, you know, a handful of large checks to raising a bunch of smaller checks and a not as frothy market. Mm-hmm. And as I said, switching from a retail focus, mm-hmm. you know, the, the total number of people transacting on Coinbase, for example, mm-hmm. you know, plummeted. Yep. Um, but, and the price plummeted. But what didn't have, you know, it was really beneficial. You can look at these things, these these things that appear on the outside stressful. Also, it wasn't as stressful for me because I consider cryptocurrency almost like play money at this mm-hmm. point. Like, I do have this long-term belief that it's going to, you know, grow by orders of magnitude and value. So it doesn't stress me, like, these uh, ups and, and downs. But what I, um, but what was interesting is only the the sort of diehard stuck around. Yeah. Yeah. I remember in early 2000. 18, there was a cohort of about five folks that I was talking to pretty heavily who were starting companies and you know, were interested in it, and only me and one other uh, ended up like still, yeah, are still at it, exactly. And so the stress of this collapse on, on mm-hmm. other companies, not necessarily yours, yeah. what do you think about, so like these companies that raised millions and millions of dollars, mm-hmm. Tezos, uh, Neo, all these things that, that were had really good marketing essentially yeah so that's why they 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 were able to rise above the froth right or was it something valuable that they were doing so the um like why why did they succeed you're saying or no why what is up with them because they have this essentially when you raise too much money you know like you you essentially put a a arrow target on everybody every you got to keep on growing but then they collapse basically yeah so it's been interesting right Mm -hmm. It, there have been so many warped incentives in this uh, ecosystem. So, and the founders of Tezos and, and some of the other projects that you've mentioned, I mean, they, they pocketed millions, if not, you know, and for some projects it was like tens of millions. Yeah. 
and even you know with the depressed uh, yeah. rates yeah. are still holding. Yeah. Like think of just somebody again like Justin Sun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the so the you know I it probably isn't a good thing for them. Uh, I mean it's not in terms of their net worth shrinking off what it was on paper. Uh, and a lot of them are engaged in lawsuits, but they're wealthy people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the good ones uh, are still continuing to build and, and develop. But you know, it, it, to me, it, it's an, it, was an, it was a problem of, like, the, the, it was a capital Profit. formation problem mm-hmm. more than I would sort of blame these folks for, mm-hmm. you know, using the fundraising, mm-hmm. fundraising method available to them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, if you can raise a hundred million bucks you by writing it. a white paper and yeah. having maybe a little bit of working code, well, for Christ's sake, you might be a lunatic not to. <laughs> yeah, that's so interesting. And what, like, what I would love to hear is if maybe you could, if you're comfortable doing, maybe calling out some of the good projects that are interesting mm-hmm. right now that are that were have had this period of stress. I asked this question to mm-hmm. somebody else, and their answer was die. Is there anything else that's kind of like? And even if maybe you could disagree with that, but but like, is there anything else in this this stressful period from uh, beginning of two thousand eighteen to where we are now? Mm-hmm. So, I don't have a ton of like I don't have a ton of favorites. Uh, I I appreciate mm-hmm. so so I appreciate the the companies and projects that are continuing to build. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer looking less at the tokens. Like, Binance has a token. Uh, those folks have been heads down and have built a really big business. Mm-hmm. I mean, BNB, the token has increased in value because they've executed well and they're by far the, the biggest spot exchange in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that company has impressed me tremendously. And they did have an ICO, right? Mm-hmm. And they do have a token. So, so that would be one. And I don't necessarily agree with everything they've done, the regulatory arbitrage, and I know there will be questions in the long run mm-hmm. uh, you know, about ties to X, Y, I'll stay away from controversy. I, there's plenty of that on, on Twitter. But anyway, they, they perform well. There's, there's um, others in terms of, well, then there's some that like haven't had co-commits in ages, like mm-hmm. Litecoin, mm-hmm. You know, but just the price is still up there. Interesting. And the the head of the project, Charlie Lee, kind of dumped at the top, and then said, "Hey, I'm working on it." But like, what's being worked on? Interesting. So, so you know, and then there's ones that are just blatant. So I, I find it hard. There's not a ton of, of great ones. There's a ton of. I think the Ethereum ecosystem uh, is the one that I would call out, and Bitcoin and the Bitcoin ecosystem. Yeah, that's what Even I'm though it gets a lot of shit, like yeah. it, you know, people are working on making the protocol. Uh, you know, more private, making it more scalable, uh, and you know, constantly working to fix bugs. Think through, you know, what happens uh, when the block rewards, you know, as we continue to, to have and you know, move towards a fee uh, only scenario, a free free fee wow. primary scenario, and thinking about security of yeah. Bitcoin in that yeah. world. Uh, so, so people are doing a ton of of research. So, so there's building happening, there's, there's research and good thinking happening mm. on the Ethereum side as well. Uh, they have the biggest collection of high quality uh, developers you know, in this crypto ecosystem. Mm. And so I appreciate what they're doing. Mm. Uh, 
you know, and watching it as somebody who really respects and appreciates technology. Again, I think they recognize and are starting to recognize how much they need to focus on the moneyness aspect. Like, I, DAI, like, it's, it's interesting, but it's, a, again, over-collateralized lending. Like, I don't necessarily get, like, way thrilled about that. Um, but I understand why, why some people do, you mm. know, censorship resistance, etc. So, so there's only, there's not a ton of projects that like yeah. fly out. Well, from what you said and basically from what I'm getting from everyone else is that Bitcoin is the thing that survived the moment, that, that has gone through this and experienced that stress and is now everybody is basically, a lot of people, the majority of people are now like, okay, this is the thing. This is where. Yeah, you're seeing an increase mm-hmm. in, in, in maximalism, meaning that you know, Bitcoin dominance has kind of hasn't really moved or has increased a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, in this 60 to 65% range. Okay. Interesting. Uh, the, uh, but, but I do think that, again, in terms of just building and experimenting and testing, um, and I, uh, I also think the investor community, I appreciate that they've moved also towards like more equity funding and just more sane things that have already worked. Yeah, and a lot of these folks took, just got crushed in 2018. Yeah. Have done pretty well in 2019, but I appreciate that they, many of them, stuck with it. You know, took their licks and then, you know, and then kept Interesting. Going. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Of uh, anything else you want to say to our listeners? To, to just thank you for listening and check out uh, the block where theblockcrypto.com. And how can people find you if they want to interact more? Uh, so I'm always on Twitter, uh, for better or worse, <laughs> uh, at M-D-U-D-A-S, at M-D-U-D-A-S on Twitter. Cool. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it, sir.